my name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. We are still in the uh, series on Psalms, so we're going to be in book three of Psalms, Psalm 84, if you want to turn there. Yeah, you heard me right. I said book three. Still in the same book of Psalms. It wasn't until just not very long ago that I found out that there's divisions of books inside the book. So we are in book three of the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 84. Living on pilgrimage, Psalm chapter 84. So if you're there, let's go ahead and read. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of hosts. I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even a sparrow finds a home and a swallow a nest for herself, where she places her young near your altars, Lord of hosts. My King and my God, how happy are those who reside in your house, who praise you continually. Selah. Happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a source of spring water. Even the autumn rain will cover it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Each appears before God in Zion. Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Listen, God of Jacob. Consider our shield, God. Look on the face of your anointed one. Better a day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be at the door of the house of my God than to live in the tents of wicked people. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory, and he does not withhold the good from those who live with integrity. Happy is the person who trusts in you, Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity today to gather together. Thank you for joy. Thank you for sunshine. Thank you for um, the privilege of being in fellowship, in community with other believers, Lord. There are difficult times, there are times of, of uh, hardship, and there are times of blessing, but we do it together, and we're grateful, Lord, that you set it up that way, that you didn't make us um, be single units for you, but you put us into a body, and you made us individual units, but we're individual units in your body here on earth, and we work together that way. Lord, I pray as we study this passage I pray that you would help us to um, be able to get a, uh, un- gain an understanding of what the psalmist was writing about and help us to apply it to our lives. I pray, Lord, that as we leave today, that it would be with a, uh, just a renewed sense of resting in you, a renewed sense of, of choosing you, and um, a renewed desire to walk with you this week and in the coming weeks. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, this morning... This, this passage kind of gripped me, but I'm, going to, I'm just going to preface it very quickly. If you're here this morning and you're reading King James, which I actually prefer reading the, the Psalms into King James, it's, I don't know, old stuff to me. But when I, went, when I read this passage and I began to, to flesh out the concept of living on pilgrimage, I went back to the King James and I was reading in the King James and I thought, whoa, I must be missing a verse. My King James doesn't say anything about pilgrimage. So I went to um, alternate translations to figure out what was going on. And in verse 5, where it actually talks about 
says, happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. That phrase, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage, in Hebrew is literally the pathways are in their heart. And so in the King James, I think it says something like, in whose hearts are the ways of them. That word ways is actually pathway or highway. And so it actually is translated correctly, if you will, but we don't, I just have never picked it up. I thought ways was like a thought process or something. So it's in there. It just doesn't sound quite the same. All right. So Psalm 84 um, that we're talking from today, to me, I don't know. When you read it, I don't know what you hear. But when I was reading it, the word that jumped out to me was pilgrimage. All right. It's central to this passage. And we'll look at it. We'll explain why it's in the middle and not at the beginning or the end. But I'll tell you, I don't think the word pilgrimage very often. I think trip, road trip, flight, whatever, but I don't think pilgrimage. And the reason I don't is for a very specific reason. Pilgrimage is not what we think of as like going on vacation. This is what pilgrimage means. A journey to a sacred place for the purpose of worship or devotion. I guess in that sense, pilgrimage for me would be traveling from where I live to here on a Sunday morning. That would be about as close as I get to pilgrimage. But that's not, the the context is not quite the same. So pilgrimage is not a concept that we think of. And the reason in part is um, long distance isn't difficult for us anymore. And I was thinking about it, having studied for this, we're coming to church this morning, and we just get in our car and we drive down relatively nice roads, true and we get to church and and literally i jump in my car and i drive 50 60 miles an hour and 10 minutes later i am in a place where a hundred years ago i don't know how long it would take and if i was walking i was thinking about this morning i have about nine miles so i would have had to leave at about six o'clock this morning to get here in time for sunday school if i was walking and that'd be a heavy walk to get out at that point so even the things that are just basic, ordinary travel for us, going to church and going back home, are so easy that we don't think about travel anymore. Um, for us, I'm glad, don't get me wrong, I'm glad I can get in my car and go somewhere, but it changes when we read words like pilgrimage, it changed completely what we think about it. Uh, the, the Old Testament saints, though, which this was written by an Old Testament saint, the Old Testament saints had no such qualms. They understood very well what it meant to have to travel on foot somewhere. You had two choices. You had to travel on foot, or if you were lucky and you had a donkey or something like that, you could ride that thing, which I don't know which is better. I'm not sure if I'd rather be straddle something or just walking. I'm not sure which would be probably about the same speed getting there and maybe just not quite as difficult. So, uh, when he's writing about pilgrimage here, he's writing in a way that we're not thinking about. And so, and, and we're going to struggle, I'm going to struggle actually a little bit communicating this this morning because it gets muddled because we're going to be talking about a spiritual pilgrimage, but we're going to be using physical terminology. And that's where it gets, it gets mentally for me, it gets a little bit hard to try to figure out what I'm even talking about sometimes. But for, for, for an example um, of pilgrimage, Abraham is probably, when I was trying to think about the Old Testament, Abraham is probably the most quintessential 
example of what the word pilgrimage means. God comes to him, he's in Ur of the Chaldees, and he says, Abraham, I'm calling you out. I'm asking you to leave your home, leave everything, leave your business, leave everything, and get on your camels and go through the desert. I'm going to take you somewhere. And the place that I'm taking you, I'm giving to you. Unfortunately, you're not going to get it. It'll be your ancestors that get it. But I'm taking you so you can see it. And Abraham leaves, and the rest of his life is literally spent moving. He will literally get on a camel and go through the desert. He will literally live in a tent for the rest of his life. And he will be literally on a pilgrimage to the place, to the sacred place where God has assigned to him. So that's the concept that I want to talk about, but I want to tie it with this psalm to us as, as 21st century Christians in a world that we have a hard time grasping that. Is this a concept that's worth even worrying about? In other words, if, if the idea of pilgrimage doesn't really exist for us, why should I bother trying to bring it up? Why should we even talk about it if we can't really grasp it? I think it's worth it because I think actually, as I was listening to the songs this morning and different things, we talk about it all the time. We just forget what it is. But I'm hoping that it will be, by the end of the service, you'll be able to actually apply it into your life in such a way that make your life a little more understandable. This is what I was going to say. First of all, even if, even if you guys all leave saying, I don't have a clue what he was talking about, which is possible, I have gained a lot from it. I have found myself already this week praying in terms of pilgrimage, thinking in terms of pilgrimage, processing my problems in terms of pilgrimage, and here's why. Understanding pilgrimage biblically is a concept that helps us keep a proper understanding of our life as a Christ follower. All right. So here's, if you want to write something down, this is the thing you can write down. There are three realities of a pilgrim. And I'll give them to you all in a row. The first one is hunger. The second one is heart. And the third one is happiness. So we're going to look at these three realities and we're going to try to connect them to our life and see what we can learn from them. The first one is hunger. Hunger is, uh, another word would be longing, but I use hunger because there's three H's and so that, you know... In a Baptist church, you have to do things like that. Um, hunger is something that is a real event in your life. If you, or thirst or longing, if you are in, oh boy, in the middle of a hot day, this last week being an example, and you have sweated and sweated, you get to a point where you need water, and your body is telling you you need water. Now, I will tell you in that moment that your body cannot make, cannot produce in itself what you need. It has to come from outside of you. You're working all day long and you get to the end of the day and you're drained and you're hungry and you're ready for dinner. You, your body cannot produce dinner for yourself. It has to come from somewhere else. That is, the, that is the nature of hunger. So the first thing for a pilgrim is this. He is hungry. He's hungry for something. This is so important that you can't have the rest of it without it. If you're here this morning, people say you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. I'll tell you one thing, though. You can put salt in his food, and you don't have to try to worry about getting him to drink. He will drink. So hunger comes when, when necessity, when your body requires it or when your mind requires it. So for this particular psalmist, this is what he says. My heart longs and yearns for what? The courts of the Lord and for the living God. He wants something other than what he's got. The, the, human, the human can want to worship can pretend to worship himself, but really and truly, the worship of self is a little bit like trying to drink sweat 
when you're thirsty because you're conjuring up yourself in order to satisfy yourself. It doesn't work. Water has to come from somewhere else. And so he's saying, I recognize that. I recognize that I'm not enough. My hunger is for something greater than myself. This is the baseline for somebody who's going to go on pilgrimage. If you do not have hunger, you are not willing to set out to find what you need. And, and it gets desperate for some people. The, the person who is, um, who is starving needs food. There will come a point in his life when he won't need it anymore, though. Maybe he'll feel like he's okay at that point. And with thirst is the same way. I remember um, years ago <laughs> when I was growing up, our perspective on water was that God gave that to us to make sweet tea out of. Like, <laughs> that, was, that was the way we looked at it. And, and I was overseas on a trip, and they said to us, the mission team said to us, you will drink, I think it was two liters of water a day. <laughs> How on earth am I going to drink two liters of sweet tea? I could do that but two liters of water. And so they gave us two bottles, two, two, two one-liter bottles. We had to fill every day. What I discovered was this. At the beginning of the trip, I wasn't thirsty. By the end of the trip, when I came back, if I didn't have two liters of water a day going into me, I got very thirsty. What was the difference? My body got used to something that it didn't know it needed. So in the same way, there are people all around us, maybe you're sitting here today, and you don't feel hungry. You don't feel, you don't feel a desperation to know God, to be in God's presence. That doesn't mean you, doesn't, you don't need it. It just means maybe you're starving to death and you need to cultivate that hunger. And that's something that can be done. Now, there is a, um, there's a couple of, of illustrations and the obvious one, the obvious that probably everybody's thinking here is, as an illustration, is the book Pilgrim's Progress, right? I mean, that is the, that is the story of a man who goes on a pilgrimage. Um, there's another one from the scriptures and it's the prodigal son. And I had never even thought about it until I was studying for this. It suddenly hit me. When did he change his mind about what he was going to do? When he was in the pig pen and he was starving. He was so hungry that no matter what his life was like, he was willing to go back on a road trip to daddy's house and be a servant in order to satisfy that hunger because he knew he could get it satisfied there. Pilgrim starts off in the, in the book Pilgrim's Progress. Christian starts off with a burden, a longing to get rid of the burden. And that is so great that he's willing to leave behind the city of destruction and everything about him, his life up to that point, to find a place that he can get rid of this burden. So hunger is the starting point. Now, with those, with those two, and particularly with Pilgrim's Progress, this crossover between the physical and the spiritual reality um, actually becomes almost troubling in the book because... Christian will leave behind his wife and his children in the city of destruction in the story to go on the trip to the celestial city. I don't like that. I want to take my wife and my children with me. But in the, in the story, even though it's a physical world, even though it's grass and, and trees and giants and the, and the trauma that Christian has to go through on his path through, it's a spiritual reality. So when we're talking this morning, it gets very confusing. And I... I don't know how else to get around it. So I'm going to make a suggestion. There is no way for me to prove this. But I am wondering, is it possible? I live in Surrey in a house. As far as I know, the house doesn't move around. I, it looks the same every day when I get up. But 
is it possible that the physical reality of my house is perhaps, myself included, my wife, my children, is perhaps also a part of an alternate reality, a spiritual reality, in which if I could look into it, I would actually see myself on a pilgrimage, walking along, going somewhere. Because I don't know how to define it, but if you can try to hold on to that in your mind, like imagine those two as if you're looking at, at two photographs overlaid. Imagine that you are actually on a journey, going somewhere, and like a turtle bringing your house with you or something. If that helps you, if not, don't worry about it. Again, if you go home and you have no idea what I was saying, I think I might get that, actually. So, second point. If you have the hunger to follow God, the second point will come into play. The heart of a pilgrim is set on pilgrimage. You say, that's so basic. I'm not saying it. The Scripture says it. So he has this longing for the house of God. He has this longing to be with God. Matter of fact, he has such a longing, in reality, that he says something I think is hilarious. For those of you who are farmers or have any kind of outbuildings, you have starlings and sparrows and I don't know what else, barn swallows that build nests all over your barn. And you can get so annoyed because they just, I have these little wrens, I just, they put their nests everywhere. But in his mind, the psalmist is saying, man, if I was a sparrow, I'd build my nest in the temple of God, and then I could raise my children in his presence all the time. It was such a different perspective on the sparrow's nest. I'll be a little less angry at the next one that happens in mine. The heart of a pilgrim is set on pilgrimage. So the, the first thing is a hunger, and he has a hunger, and he tells you what it is. I'm a hungering for the city of God. I want to be where God is. Pilgrim in, or a Christian in Pilgrim's Progress is headed towards a celestial city. He's getting glimpses of the celestial city. And then... He sets out. And so in this case, in, in uh, Psalm 84, he says, Happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Let's go back to that double image. Somehow, I think it's reality for us, that I can choose simultaneously. I'm in Surrey County. I can't just go start walking. But I can choose to leave spiritually, the things that provide security and comfort for me. I can choose to walk away from the difficult, for the thing that I am, my fear doesn't uh, ever rise up because I can control everything inside my world. Christian leaves the city of destruction not knowing what's ahead. Abraham leaves Ur of the Chaldees not knowing what's ahead. The prodigal son leaves the pig pen. It's not much, but he knows what the pigs do. And he can control them. He leaves that and he heads back home. And for us, it's the same thing. If we're going to set out on a pilgrimage, because my goal is, as a pilgrim, to be with God someday. If I'm going to set out on that goal, I can guarantee you I'm going to wind up in a situation that I'm no longer in control. And so he will go on in the next couple of verses and talk about that. So when the pilgrim sets out on a pilgrimage, there's a couple of things that he chooses. He chooses to leave his home and his security, accepting the fear and uncertainty of the path for the promise of life in God's house. Dietrich is in uh, Arkansas right now. He got on a plane. This is still miraculous to me. He got on a plane, and six hours later, he was a 1,000 miles away. That just is mind-numbing to me. It would have taken months on a horse or walking to get down there. So it didn't really cost him any. It cost money, but it didn't cost any 
difficulty for him to get there. But if I'm going to leave my house as the father in my house, and we're going to go on a road trip, if the vehicle breaks down, which it does sometimes, who's responsible? I am. It generally breaks down on the highway somewhere where it's not an easy thing for you to deal with. The things that go wrong go wrong when you can't access the tools back home. So my dad, he drags a whole bunch of tools with him, and I generally bring tools, but I'm always worried, no matter how many tools I put in the vehicle, I'm going to need the 2332nd socket, and I don't have that one with me. That's, that's my fear. I'm always going to not quite have what I need. And so when you leave, the pilgrim has decided at that point that being in the city of God with God, being in his presence is worth more than the security of the shop back home. Second thing he does, he chooses companions for the journey and they help each other along. In verse, uh, in verse, whoever made my Bible put the, put the, Verse numbers in blue, and I can still read the print in black, but the blue just doesn't, it's somewhere in there. I'm just going to read it, okay, because I can read the words. I'm not sure which verse it is. As they pass, as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a source of spring water. Even the autumn rain will cover with blessings. They go from strength to to strength, and each appears before God in Zion. He gathers people together with him. If you remember in the, in the book Pilgrim's Progress, Christian doesn't travel alone. He travels um, faithful travels with him sometimes. I think it's hopeful travels with him sometimes. He has traveling companions. When Abraham left Ur, he went with his wife, his nephew, his father, and it says of the household servants, he took a whole entourage with him. We're not meant to travel alone. When you travel alone, you get in trouble. You have no one to help you. And so he says in here, I'm going to go to the house of God. I'm going to go on a pilgrimage. I'm tired of not seeing the house of God. I'm going to go, but I'm taking companions with me. Now, the valley of Baca, as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a source of spring water. The word Baca, um, one of the translations is tears. So as they pass through the valley of tears, they make it a source of spring water. I don't know if he meant this or not. But it almost sounds like he's saying that the tears that that these pilgrims cry going through this dark place become the spring water for the next set of pilgrims coming through. I don't know if that's what he meant, but I do know this. Paul says in the New Testament that God comforts us, and then we comfort those coming behind us with the same comfort that he's given to us. And so there is a sense in which those trials that you go through and then the the sources of spring water that God raises up in you in those trials of his word and his life in you then become a source of comfort and a source of water in a difficult time for someone else. So as the pilgrims have gone, and and I'll tell you that if you were to travel down um, any given road in this country 200 years ago, there would not be very many places uh, to spend the night or to find food. Now that same path would have lots of places. Why? Because more and more people have gone down it and have set up more and more places. And so we are the recipients in reality in the 21st century, we're the recipients of all of those saints that have gone before us. Whether it's writings, uh, whether, I mean, how many devotionals do we have in this world of people? My wife's favorite is Streams in the Desert. I, I suppose that all of the folks who have written the devotionals in there are gone. But their cries, their tears in the valleys of Baca 
are now springs of water for us to read later on. So if you're living your life as a pilgrim and you're hungering and thirsting for the Lord and you're setting your heart on the city of God, the tears that you cry, I believe, will be an encouragement for those coming behind. And then, and then um, on, the, on the pilgrimage still, he says, Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Listen, God of Jacob. So I know when I leave home on an actual road trip, there is a very real likelihood that something will go wrong and I will have to call someone to help me, somebody outside of my situation. Chris Schott has said to me, I don't care where you are, brother. If you've got a problem, you call me. I'll test him on that someday. I know that my father, when I was still at home and we'd go on road trips, I remember one specifically. We were up on Interstate 81. It was probably 10 o'clock at night, driving along, and suddenly the van just shuts off like that. So he pulled over and we spent the night sleeping in the van. But he had a friend about an hour from there that he called the next morning. The guy came and helped him out. Dad had friends everywhere. Um, he didn't really stress out about it. Or at least I don't remember him stressing out. Maybe he was stressed. I just don't remember it. But you are going to, on your Christian, on your Christian journey, just like as in a road trip, you will eventually run across a situation that you cannot deal with. And so he lays it out here. That's what I'm calling out for Jehovah. I have friends around me to help me deal with the normal daily life. But there are things that none of us can do. There's the cancer that we can't deal with. There's the, um, the family situation that I don't have any idea how to deal with. And the only thing that works is just to call out to, the, to Jehovah, who does know how to deal with it. All of these things are the heart of a pilgrim, and it's all based on his trip to the celestial city. I, I was pulled Pilgrim's Progress out and I was kind of reading some pieces in it again and I was so, uh, I was just encouraged by the, the imagery and everything in there. In fact, if you have a copy at your house, drag it out and brush up on your old English because a lot of it is hard to understand but you will gain from it at the same time. It's such a, just a, a blessing for me to go back and look at it. Third, happiness. Happiness is found in trusting God. Now, that is such an obvious statement that I don't need to say it. But the reality is, is just because something is obvious doesn't make it actually feel true to us. Lewis, C.S. Lewis would talk about the, the biblical critics of his day, and they would say, well, you know, the Bible says that Jesus went up into a cloud. Well, there is no such thing as up. So the Bible clearly doesn't know what he's talking about. And he said it this way. He said, say it somewhere else. Try. Try saying that Jesus ascended into heaven in some other way that I can understand what you're saying, and it means that Jesus left. He said, it always is the easiest thing to do. I can, I can critique anything, but to undo it and make something else be in its place is a much harder thing. And so for us to say, well, you know, happiness is trusting the Lord. Yeah, but that doesn't feel right. I know that you can't, that money doesn't buy happiness, but I still would like to try it for a little bit. I wish that the lessons that I know are true here, I could just affix them to my heart. 
But oftentimes, it's the struggles that we go through that take it from our head to our heart. And so, when we're on a journey, when we're out of control of our own life, when we're on a pilgrimage to the holy city, and we run up against situations that are not easy, that is actually when we discover the truths that are true, we just don't feel them. So here's some lessons that a pilgrim learns on pilgrimage. A thousand days of weary travel does not compare to the joy of only one day in the house of God. Now, he said it, not me. Better a day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. You're a better man than me, Russell. I say baloney. Here's why. You mean you're offering me a thousand days? Imagine the, imagine the, the wise men. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I don't know how long they traveled. I have no idea how far they came. But it was obviously from some amount of distance away. They're traveling through desert. They're traveling through difficult times. They're even traveling at the end, possibly in danger of their life because they've got Herod on alert. And they go to the house where Joseph and Mary and the child are, and they worship him. And then they get up and leave. And they go back the same distance that they had just come. Maybe it was a thousand days. Maybe it was 500 days there and 500 days back. To them, it was worth it. But it doesn't feel like it right now, from my perspective. One good day versus day after day after day of weary travel. I'm not talking about in my car with the AC on. I'm talking about walking down a dusty road and getting to the end of the day and maybe having a place to sleep. Or maybe just trying to find a spot where nobody is going to rob me at night while I'm sleeping. But certainly no nice hot shower and certainly no nice meal that I can get at the end of it. And then I get up and I do that again the next day for a thousand days. Listen, for a thousand days of that, I get one day in God's court. And I honestly look at that and I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't know if I agree with him. But the pilgrim says it's worth it. When he gets to the house of God and he gets to worship God, he says it's worth it. That's what this man is saying. I would be willing to do a thousand days on the road for one day in God's house. <clears throat> Second lesson. A lowly servant is God, in God's house is happier than a wicked king. He says, I'd rather, be, I'd rather stand at God, the door of God's temple. I'd rather just be, I don't know what the doorkeeper did. Did he wash the feet? You know, is that, I don't know what their job was, but I'm guessing it, the way he's comparing it, I'm guessing it's not a high position. I'd rather be that than Nebuchadnezzar. Really? Because he had it pretty nice. One day, as a doorkeeper, here's another lesson. God becomes your life, your shade, your light, your warmth. He becomes everything for you. Listen to what he says. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. He does not withhold good from those who live with integrity. When you are... When you're... I was on a trip once through West Texas, and the air conditioner went out in the van. Man, it was hot. 
we were headed on a trip down to Mexico. We were going to go evangelize for Jesus, but this Christian needed some AC to be Christian all the way through so he could evangelize for Jesus. It was hot and it was miserable. And the water they drank down there was awful. I was not a good pilgrim. But in that situation, where the sun is too hot, he becomes the shield, he becomes your shade. When the sun goes down and you're beside the road and you hear snuffling over in the bushes and you wonder whether it's a lion that's coming to eat you, he becomes your shield. When there needs to be light because you don't, it says, he says God is all these things. He's my son, he's my shield. He gives me grace and glory. He is those things. Now, until you come to a situation where you need that in your life, you will not find God to be enough. As long as the AC works at night, matter of fact, when the storm was coming in last night, Josh said, man, I hope it doesn't knock the power out. He said, this is going to be a hot night without any air conditioning. And I was like, oh man, you're right, I hope that doesn't happen. But you know what? If it had happened, and we had had no AC, and no water, and no lights all night long, we'd have woke up this morning. We might have been drenched in sweat, and we might have not slept worth a lick, but we'd have been alive. And you know what? We were alive this morning anyway. So what the difference was? A little bit of comfort. Well, we would have discovered something. We would have discovered you can make it through a night without AC. And so what happens in your life as you travel and you get yourself in situations where you it's way bigger than you are, you discover that God actually is enough. And when He pours out His favor on you, and you feel it, and you know that He's pleased with you, you become aware that happiness is found in trusting God. That's how you find out that happiness is found in trusting God when you are in a situation that you can't control, when you're in situations that are bigger than you are. And those situations come when you lay down control and walk away from control and you go on pilgrimage with the God who knows how to take care of you. That's the reality. Happiness is found in trusting God. Those are the lessons that a pilgrim learns. Now, I want to tell you something that, that popped in my head as I was studying this. And Russell is right. A thousand days, one day in God's court is worth it. And you know what? He actually talks about it. It suddenly hit me. I went back to Revelation chapter 21. He says, he's describing the new Jerusalem and he's describing the city. And this is what John says. I did not see a sanctuary in it. Because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its sanctuary. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because God's glory illuminates it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Each day, its gates will never close because it will never be night there. When we get to the celestial city, the one day in God's court, will last forever. Now that's worth, that's worth a thousand days on the road. That's worth a hundred thousand days on the road. They don't compare to it. All right. That was what I wanted to tell you. Now how do we apply it? When Michael was leading the, uh, the Lord's Supper, he read 
Examine yourself. Examine yourself. And Paul said, examine yourself, see if you be in the faith. Those are the three applications that I have. So we're going to go through them. First application is examine your position. Are you actually on pilgrimage? Are you a pilgrim? Are you somebody who is following God? If you have not, if you have not been willing to give up security and control yourself, your life, and place it in God's hands, you're not a pilgrim. Your position is on the broad road leading to eternal damnation. You are not on the narrow road leading to life. There's only two places. There's only two roads. Jesus made it very clear. If you're not on the narrow road, you're on the broad road, and you're going to hell. That's your position. Paul says to the Corinthian church, I think it's the Corinthian church, he says, examine yourselves. It's like he's kind of almost frustrated with them. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Make sure you're actually on the road. Don't just say, oh, yeah. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, I, I love Jesus. Are you actually walking with him? Because if you're not, you might be on the wrong road, going the wrong direction, and you need to examine yourself. Second application. Examine your perspective. For me, this is the thing that gripped me this week. When I view myself as on the road, on a pilgrimage, when I view, it was easy to view it this week, coming home from work, soaked, nasty, stinky, dirty, and think to myself, if I was on the road in 100 A.D., going from Rome to Jerusalem to pay my respects at the tomb of Christ, I would have gone to bed like this tonight, and I would have got up the next day still smelling terrible and sweated my way through another day and got to the end. I would have stunk so bad at the end of that trip. Would it really have been willing? Would I have been willing to make that trip? When back home at my villa in Rome, I would have had a nice hot bath to come to every night. It's the same today. It's just that in our physical world, we can fool ourselves. The reality is, my perspective has shifted some this week in studying this. If I'm on the road, and I'll give you an illustration that actually happened to, to my family. We were in Iowa. We had gone to a conference out there. It left. It was in March. We left. It was late when we left, and a terrible snowstorm. I mean, it was for for a Virginia boy. It was like the end of the world. We were stuck on the interstate. There, was, traffic wasn't moving. The wind was screaming. It was so cold. And all I could think was, man, if we run out of gas, we're going to die out here. And my dad had the sense to call ahead to the next exit and see if there was any hotels there, and he found one. And he booked a room in case we could get there that night. We were going to get a room. So we kept inching along, finally got to the exit and turned off and went into the hotel. Here's, here's the perspective. Supposing that we had got into that room and there was another family huddled in there. Would we have been like, what? Get out! We paid for this room. No. We would have said, what's going on? Man, our car broke down. Oh, no problem. We get it. We understand. We're on the road with you. We get this pilgrimage thing. We're trying to get home. We just want to live we understand you just want to live too. So we somehow, we, 
lay out our bedrolls, and we sleep through the night. We're just glad we got a room that's not moving and is warm. Now, slight change. You're on a road trip with your family. It's a beautiful day. You call ahead, you schedule for this nice hotel room, and you're excited you get there. It's going to be beautiful. You're going to have a, a nice hot shower at the end of driving all day. And you get there, and there's a family in the room. You're going to look at it different. You're going to look at it different because you're not in the same situation. And for me this week, this is what happened. I suddenly realized that if I can see my life every day as walking with the Lord through the dust and the toil and the heat, I'm going to be grateful for anything that comes down the line. And I'm going to be much more willing to be able to let go the things that are problematic for me. That's the perspective. Examine your perspective. And this week, as, you, as bad things come up or as good things come up, examine your perspective and see, am I actually in pilgrimage mode or am, or am I still at my house in control of my destiny and I don't want anything to go wrong for me? And then finally... Examine your fellow pilgrims. And I don't mean examine them to see if they're doing anything wrong. I mean examine the people that are around you. Right here, for us, Bacon's Castle Baptist Church is a bunch of pilgrims that's walking down the path towards the celestial city together. Sometimes we fight with each other. Sometimes we have issues and we don't like each other. And sometimes we get along great. But when you look around the people around you, do you see someone who is in need of something that you can offer? Are you offering it to them? Are you comforting, holding up, taking care of, and doing what you can? And then turn the camera back on yourself. Am I someone who, if I get off the road into the weeds, can be approached, can be rebuked, can be chastised by somebody and saying, do you really want to walk over there? Because the narrow road's right here. Can you hear Examine your fellow pilgrims and examine yourself. And if you, can, if you can just carry that with you, if you are in the faith, if you are on pilgrimage, keep your perspective that you're on pilgrimage. Keep your perspective that you're carrying, in some ways, the weight of those around you. We share the burden with each other as we travel towards the celestial city. Our goal should be, no matter what happens here, I want to be with God forever and ever. I want to be in his house. I want to be in it so much, I'd be willing to be a sparrow in a nest if that's what it took. That's what I want in life. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check us out on YouTube and Facebook to get to know us and see what God is doing here in Surrey. Be blessed.